in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. We are in the home stretch of phase two of our family gap year. So from mid-March to mid-May, we've been exploring the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic region. And in the past week, we've had moments where the image in front of me was exactly as I hoped for on this experience. I think the kids just continue to astonish me with their ease, their laughter, their creativity, and a couple of bittersweet moments that were really hard to say goodbye. Since we were in Cape Cod, which was a couple of weeks ago, we've been staying mostly with locals. And most of these connections came through, some of them were over 20 years ago, when I was on a cruise with my mom on spring break in college. I met these two women that were there, their friends from Maine, Biddeford, Maine. And I remembered that in the back of my head. And so when I saw that the place that we were going to be staying was near Biddeford, Maine, I called them up or I actually messaged them online and said, hey, I'm going to be in Biddeford. Do you still live there? And it was it was kind of a really fun reunion and dinner with the family. But some of them have been strangers that we've stayed with through Boondockers Welcome, or they've been friends. I met a friend of mine five years ago through a work function, and we just kind of decided we were going to be friends. Another one is someone I met again in an online business community, and I just said, hey, any chance we can meet up? And it's just, it's so fun, and I think it's brought a sense of home into our travel. So it's been a lot of fun. We're excited. While many of these relationships started out with simple acquaintances, some of them even strangers. We've made friends rather quickly, and I've learned that both kids and dogs can break the ice and build relationships. And usually it's very novel things, very simple things that we talk about. But quickly we learn this is a really fascinating way to connect. I've admired a lot of different adventures, you know, whether it be in an online forum or in a Instagram account, or I've listened to their podcast, whatever it may be, I've admired people from afar. And I've learned that when you reach out and connect with them, you can learn a lot. And usually it goes two ways. You know, I've had a lot of people connecting with me over the last couple of years, just wanting to know more about the family gap year. And it's fun. Today's episode is one that's fun, too, because I think the theme that you're going to hear based on the title is that when we stretch ourselves out of what's normal, what's comfortable, what's familiar... It might be like this hard road to get there to the other side, but once you get there, you come up with a better human being on the other side. And I feel like this phase of our trip has been a lot of coming out better than what maybe we even anticipated could be possible. I'm really excited about having our guest today, and he'll talk through some of the challenges and nuances of adventure that he's participated in. But if you are finding that there is someone ahead of you on the journey someone that you'd like to learn more from, I'd encourage you to reach out. 
you know, I offer coaching. I offer a lot of consultation around a lot of different things, whether it be simple adventures, on tourism, building an adventurous lifestyle, taking a family gap year. Reach out to those individuals. Invest in what they're offering. You'd be surprised how much faster you can get to the end result. Just as an example, the concept of a family gap year came about five years ago, and I thought it would be another three to four years before we could do this. Initially, I thought it was going to happen in 2030. Then we backed down to 2025. As you know, it happened in under three. So it's amazing what can happen when you find the right people to surround yourself. And this is just another gleaming example of just an ordinary person in my network who's doing some pretty remarkable things. So excited to have our guest with us today. Rich Jen is a high-energy optometrist with a passion for travel and adventure. He's a full-time optometrist and part-time short-term rental host who's started his FI journey officially in 2018. He has a background in drawing and painting and loves to learn new things. He also enjoys fitness, yoga, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Did I say that right? Is it jiu-jitsu? Yep. Okay. jiu-jitsu. Enjoy spending his free time with his girlfriend, Megan, who have two rescued pit bulls, vacations, and many multi-day hikes at Elevation in the Mountains. Rich, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Super excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. You are so fascinating. Let's just start a little bit with, I want to get to, just so you know where I'm going, I want to get to this short-term rental and kind of how you got into that. But I know you have just like this fascinating background. And when I first met you, you were, I think, an optometry student, but your undergrad was in art, correct? Isn't that where you spent a lot of time drawing and painting and in the art space? Absolutely. So I did my undergrad in drawing and painting. Ever since I was like a little kid, I always wanted to be like a superhero, but I couldn't. So I was like, well, I can draw superheroes. <laughs> so drawing has always been a huge passion of mine. From my dad's side of the family, there's a lot of artists. So like, you can kind of draw stuff. And so yeah, I just kept at it because I was like, a super nerd growing up. I was into comic books and superheroes. And that's where I did most of my reading. I wasn't really into like books. So I'd like, copy comic books and superheroes. And I just kept going with that. And even though my parents were like, yeah, you should become a doctor. You know, I was like an undergrad and I wasn't like super happy. And so they were like, dude, this is it. Pursue your art dream. Let's see what happens. They just let me do it. And I was like, all right, man, I'm going for it. And so I did a ton of art in college and it was a ton of fun. And then after graduating, I was like living in Chicago with my friends, doing flyers for bands, trying to get gallery shows and being very unsuccessful. And so my parents were like, yo, how's that art thing going? I'm like, not really good. Can I get some rent money? And they're like, you better get your life together, buddy. And so at the time, my sister was in dental school. You know, my parents are Korean immigrants. Their dream is like, you should become a dentist with your sister and open like the brother sister dental office. <laughs> um, so I called up my sister and I'm like, hey, what do you think about dental school? And she's like, dude, this sucks. It's my third year. I'm in people's mouths. They're spitting blood in my face all day. She's like, go become an optometrist. And I was like, what's an optometrist? And she's like, those people do your glasses and contacts. All right, let me check it out. So, you know, this is like a million years ago. So I opened up the yellow pages. If, so, if, if some of your listeners <laughs> it know is a million years ago. I know, right? Remember there was like that big book of phone numbers for like. Yeah. It was like a clue in our color brain game the other oh. day. Like, what was the book that you opened to find phone numbers? Oh, my God. <laughs> my kids are like, before Google? <laughs> That's like trivia now. Oh, Lord. That's amazing. Yeah, so I like called up a bunch of optometrists and I was like, hey, I want to check out what you do. 
and I went and observed like commercial ones, some like private practice ones. And I had a list of questions about prerequisites, but the most important questions were like, number one, do you like what you do? And then number two, did you like your work-life balance? Like, do you enjoy your life? And all of them said yes. And that was enough for me. And so I went ahead and finished up my prerequisites, took the necessary tests, and then I went to optometry school. After finishing optometry school, I stayed on to specialize in binocular vision disorders. That's like lazy eyes or like eyes that are crossed. And that's where I met Megan. And I was like, who's this beautiful, smart person who will never, ever want to speak to me? And then she spoke to me and I was like, this is amazing. I'm super lucky. And Megan, for the record, is my best friend. So that's how we know each other. And I never forget meeting you. Like the first time I met you. Well, we don't have to tell that story because that will just show people how awkward I can be. So let's just skip over that and we'll keep people in wonder. How did you get into some of like the outdoorsy things though? Because you guys have done some pretty radical adventures. Like you've gone to unique places. I mean, you just ran, what, 100 miles just mm-hmm. for fun? You know, like, I think there's something unique about you, though, in in the things that you say yes to. So I'm just a little curious, too. Like, how did you start exploring things that other people weren't doing? Great question. I think the hiking stuff started off because Megan and I both have an interest in, like, adventure and doing, like, fun, interesting things that not a lot of people want to do because <laughs> they tend to be, like, physically difficult. Several years ago, we went to the Grand Canyon because one of her mom's like bucket list trips was riding the mules down into the canyon. Her mom had just quit smoking as a reward. Megan's like, let's go to the canyon. We'll ride the mules. It's going to be amazing. Go to Phantom Ranch. So we did it. And it was like super fun and incredible. And it was a wonderful, wonderful trip. Like, I'll never forget it. After we came back up the canyon, Meg's mom was going to just kind of hang out and like, do some souvenir shopping and we're like yo let's go hike down bright angel trail so we started hiking down and we're like this is really neat and then we came upon the trailhead and we saw this older couple probably in their 60s or 70s with these ginormous backpacks and they're like hey will you take a picture of us by the trailhead we're like absolutely like so we're taking these nice pictures and stuff and we're like why do you have these huge backpacks and they're like we just did a rim to rim hike and we're like what's a rim to rim hike and they're like well we started at the north rim and they hiked all the way down across the canyon and then back up again. And they did like a four-day hike. And we we're like, you can do that? And they're like, yeah, it was really incredible. And so we parted ways and said, hey, you know, goodbye, whatever. And then Meg and I started talking as we were hiking down the trail. And we we're like, man, I bet we could do this. So we just kind of played with the idea. And so when we got home, we kept looking into it. And it, it just fascinated us, right? So it like piqued our interest. Like, number one. We didn't know that was possible. Number two, you know, we'd never done any kind of like multi-day hiking or anything like that. So we started looking up these blogs for like how to do this thing. And we found an itinerary for four days. The guy that put it together was kind of a middle-aged dude. And he's like, this is less than 10 miles a day. And, you know, you can get started this way. So we didn't know anyone in our circle of friends or families that did this type of thing. So we were just like, all right, let's check out some blogs, look online. And then we just put together this trip and then we did it. So we started on the North Rim. It took four days for us to go down the North Rim, across the canyon and back up the South Rim. And while we were doing it, we found out we were like fast at hiking. So we're like, okay, we have seven miles today. I think we'll be there by like 5 p.m. to set up camp. And we'd be there like four hours early. And I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? And so we're like, hey, this is 
this is cool. It's, it's fun. We like to push ourselves. And so when we finished that, we felt pretty good. And we like learned a lot of things about camping, packing, and all of that. And then we just started knocking off other hikes. So then we signed up for the Inca Trail. And we went to Peru and saw Machu Picchu and spent like four days on the trail there. Then we did the Lagervego Trail in like Iceland. Then we signed up to do the John Muir Trail. Every time we've gone, then we did the Teton Crest Trail. So like Meg would find these amazing hikes and be like, hey, do you want to try this? And we'd, I'd always be like, oh, I don't know. Can we do this? And we kept trying to push ourselves a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. We would train for this. We'd research it. We'd comb through itineraries. We'd watch a bunch of YouTube videos and feel like, hey, this is something challenging, but we think it's possible. And we just kept going. And then it kind of culminated two years ago. We did our first kind of ultra run, which we considered fast hiking kind of. And then we ran across Zion National Park. And that was like a 39-mile trek. It's called a Zion Traverse. There's actually more miles after that, but then part of it got closed. We met another hiker in Isle Royal. He lived in where we live in Madison, Wisconsin. And so we exchanged our info and, and he was like, hey, would you guys ever consider running the Design Traverse? And we're like, what's Design Traverse? And he's like, well, it's like 39 miles across Zion National Park. And we're like, well, we've never done anything like that. And he's like, well, you have to train. And so we started looking up how to train for something like that. And we spent like four to five months training, literally running miles and increasing our mileage like every week where we were probably hitting 30 to 40 miles a week before we and then we took like a, a two-week rest and then we just did it and it was amazing it's like it's incredible one of the things that i think pushes both of us is number one there's a novelty of trying new things and then trying hard things when we try hard things none of this is easy and there are times it's tough but there's also an incredible sense of accomplishment afterwards. And when you get through all of that, like you don't remember the bad parts really. Like, but you remember we climbed Mount Whitney and remember the view, like that was cool. Or remember we got cell phone reception for the first time in seven days, you know? <laughs> or like we talk about, oh, remember that amazing campsite that was like tucked in the woods? We had ravioli that day. It's those really quiet, amazing moments. Those are the really incredible moments that you remember when you do these things. And there's something, I think, magical about going on these multi-day hikes. So one of the things that kind of we both talked about is it simplifies your life, right? Because you think about what we do every day, like it's our mm -hmm. job, then there's, you know, we got to get on our computers and we have these packed calendars. And, you know, I was just talking to you about me being at the absolute limit of my bandwidth because I've overcommitted to too many things at work, life, and like at the gym. And when you're on the trail, it's really simple, right? Mm -hmm. You wake up, you take down your camp, you eat some food, and you're like, I have to hike 20 miles today to get to my next camp. And then you go. And the only things you really need to worry about are sustenance, going in the right direction, enjoying the views, and staying away from predators. <laughs> yeah. There's four rules. That's it, right? That's four rules to hiking. <laughs> There's the four rules to hiking, man. Like, it's pretty basic. And when you simplify your life, your body goes into this mode where, like, your brain, like, in the first few days of hiking, my brain's all over the place because it's so used to being all over the place. And then after a couple of days, it just quiets down. And then my brain starts processing what I consider, like, things that are important in my life. And this happens on every multi-day hike. So the first couple of days are, like, super-duper busy, and I'm, like, super excited. And then by day two or three, I'm like, I need to spend more time with my family. 
I need to spend more time with my friends. I should start doing X, Y, and Z. Or like, this would be a really good idea for like the business, right? So I start really thinking about all the BS and all the noise starts to get stripped away. Right. And then all of a sudden, the important things in your life start to manifest in your brain. And it almost becomes like a meditation, but it just simplifies everything. And for me, and this is something I talk about a lot with my patients who have like eye strain with computers and all this other stuff. And I tell them, I'm like, your bodies and eyes are not meant to sit at a desk and stare at a computer for eight to 10 hours a day. That's not what our bodies evolved to do. They evolved to like walk five to 10 miles a day, maybe hunt, maybe gather, look around, commune with other people. That's kind of what we're meant to do. So for me, when we're on the trail, it simplifies things back to like where I have better awareness of my body and myself. And that's kind of what I get out of the hiking stuff. And that's what both Megan and I really enjoy about it because it's a break away from all the noise and all the clutter. And it's like, you don't think about, I need that new iPhone. Should I get a new car? Do we need to redo our bedroom? Should we hang new curtains? Like all that stuff doesn't matter. It's literally about like, what should I eat today? Let me like parcel out my food and put them in the right places. And then, all right, we're going to hit a summit today. Got to get ready for that. And then make sure I got enough calories and want to like get to camp before sundown set up, have a nice dinner, chill out, enjoy the views and crash. And that simplification is what for me is like the real magic about going out on trail. You know, and we try to do at least one bigger trip each year. And I always feel like I'm a better person when I come back from those 100%. But it's always about like saying yes to new things and, you know, and challenging ourselves and trying something new. Um, because I think when you do those things and you challenge yourself, you're like a better person on the other side of it, right? You're like, oh, that was really hard, but like I got through that. And like now I learned something about that experience, or I feel like I'm, you know, I'm rich like 4.0, or like I've, you know, I've learned something new, right? And that's, and that's probably why we do it. Like we like to learn stuff, we like to like continue to like grow as people. Yeah, I love that. You had alluded to this, and I'm sure many people are feeling this as they're listening to it, because this sounds amazing. How do you fit this into your life? Because you are a very busy person, and you make that commitment to, you know, do the thing, but you still are holding a job, and you you know, like, you have all these other commitments, too. It's not like you're just... I'm on a gap year right now. So a lot of people could say, well, that's easy for you to say, like you just quit everything and went on this gap year. Like you're not on a gap year. <laughs> you're doing these <laughs> things in addition to, you know, you're joining the gym and doing like hardcore fitness things. You're doing these trails, you're doing these adventures and you are very successful in your business. What does life look like or how do you make those commitments? Oh, that's a great question. I think part of it is I'm high energy and I need to like, burn my gas tank, mm -hmm. right? This is something I've had to learn throughout the years how to manage my energy. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, I'd literally go into the garage, grab like a hatchet and start cutting down trees. And my parents were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I gotta, <laughs> like, I was super exploratory. I was physical. I'd watch Kung Fu movies and I'd start like kicking the couch. And my parents were like, what are you doing? So they literally had to like, take me and be like, all right, you're going into martial mm -hmm. arts. You're going to learn a sport like here's swimming, here's this, here's that. They knew very early on that they had to drain my battery. And so physical activity has been always been a big part of my life. There are times when I didn't do it and I'm less happy when I'm not moving. And that's something I realized probably in like college. So 
how do you fit everything? I need structure in my life. So having the, the nine to five helps me. I need that structure. Going to the gym and working out in the mornings is, is the structure also that I need. It gives me a reason to get up early. I get to start moving. I feel accomplished when I do that. It helps me start the day with a good attitude. And it also helps me manage the stress of the day, especially when like there's a million things flying at you at once. And then after that, it's, you know, sometimes it's jujitsu at night a couple times a week or on the weekends, making sure that you make time to continue to talk about and explore different trips or hikes and and all of that. So I think it's I think it's a lot about a commitment. Yeah, I think it's making the time to do the things that you know helps you like be a better person and operate at like maybe your optimum. Yeah. And sometimes I go too far and sometimes I crash and then I just need a day or two to just like sit on the couch and do nothing. And I think we get better at this as we get older, right? Like you find the things that really bring you joy. And then you're like, all right, I want to make time to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. It's funny that you're saying all of this, Rich, because it, it it's almost like I I understand the value of busy. And yet I think sometimes I saw that as a crutch, like that was a bad thing, right? It, like mm-hmm. I wore busy as a badge of honor is kind of like one of the things I said about my 30s. But yet at the same time, my 30s were awesome. Mm. You know, like I had three kids in my 30s <laughs> and it was busy, yeah. but it wasn't bad busy. You know, like it was interesting. So yeah. sometimes I think... We think we want less structure so we can do more, yet we don't do as well Mm -hmm. with less structure. You know, I think busy isn't always bad. And sometimes the way you're describing it is like you've learned that you thrive sometimes by having not only the structure, but by pushing yourself to try new things, to try hard things. And so I just, it's just, as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing that and kind of reflecting and saying, yeah, it's not always bad to be busy. Sometimes busy pushes us to do things that we may or may not typically do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know plenty of people who are like really good independent workers and stuff. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I'm one of those. I mean, I might be, I have no idea. Yeah. But I've always liked structure in my life. Like I like, I've had this conversation with patients a hundred times, you know, after the pandemic, so many people have gone into kind of like hybrid work or full-time remote work. And I would say just anecdotally, 90% of the people I've talked to are like, I love remote work. I love being in my pajamas. I'm so productive. But 10% are like, I don't like this. I want to go back to the office. I need to get up in the morning. I need to get dressed. I need the ritual of like getting up and going somewhere. And I think that I fall into that 10%. Sometimes I wish I wasn't. Sometimes I wish I had the discipline to like structure my day like that. But I feel like, just like you were saying, I feel like I thrive better when I have structure around me and when I have those boundaries. And maybe it has a little bit to do with my high energy approach to things because I'm just like bouncing off the walls. Like I need walls. Like, (laughs) yeah. You know, if you give me open prairie space, like, (laughs) You know, inertia is going to make me like fly around forever in no specific direction. And now it's like, where did he go? If I can focus that energy, like now that I'm thinking about it, kind of like the way you were framing it, I think that structure helps me channel my energy towards something far more focused and positive. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, because it's not, there's no universal solution for everybody, right? Exactly. Having five humans in this RV, the way we approach, and I think what's interesting is, being in proximity to each other now, like mm-hmm. 240 square feet, like we see everything that's <laughs> happening. 
Right. And it's so interesting, like who needs space and what does space look like for them is very different than oh, you know what right. another person's space looks like even, you know, so how we even interpret and walk through mm-hmm. the world and what we need is it's so it's really fascinating. It's like its own experiment. Yeah. Like space is an interesting concept. I'm curious. You went from like the traditional multi-bedroom house into this RV. When you go to like third world countries, you have generations in like a single room. Yeah. Right. Right. With maybe one bathroom. That's the way most of the world lives. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. When we talk about things like value of space and privacy, because I would imagine you have such wonderful kids, like they adapt so quickly. They're so smart. They kind of figure out their boundaries pretty quickly, I would imagine. And then they're just like, all right, let's do stuff or not do stuff. Or yeah, I wonder how that is. Was it a quick switch for them? Or like, are they still finding that I don't mean to ask this question. I know this. No, you can ask this question. It's good. It's all good. But I'm curious. Like, Yeah, I think it's interesting because I do think each kid is a little different. Each person is different. Even my husband and I are different, right? Our routines. Mm -hmm. My husband is much more the person that wakes up in the morning, has his coffee, plans his day. I sleep in as long as possible. Not really sleep in, but I like to lay in my bed and just like have a slow start. Mm -hmm. I have kids that do bounce off the walls. And so the idea of you have to be able to go outside every single day, multiple times a day is really critical for us because we found Mm -hmm. that, well, we already are getting just hours more outside time. Oh yeah. Because we have a child that just needs it. Well, I think we all need it, but we don't maybe realize we need it until we're outside and we're like, wow, that was amazing. I'm glad we did that. (laughs) But one in particular really struggles with just being like cooped up. So yeah. It's not perfect. I think we're still finding our way. And the ones that annoy us, we're like, okay, guys, you didn't get her clue, right? She's done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You missed the clue. Game over, right? Your conversation's done. Don't touch. Don't talk. Don't look. Don't do anything right now. Right. So that kind of stuff, I think, still happens in space. But I'm sure like that's been happening for millions of years, too, right? It's not like, oh, because we're in an RV, all these things are percolating now. No. Yeah. We just maybe didn't notice them before. But I think something you touch on, I think, is super critical, too, like, especially with developments. I mean, I'm getting a little sciencey here, but like, there's a critical period, early school age up to like your mid-teens, where you're learning how to tolerate each other. And I think that's where siblings are so good, because you learn those barriers of communication. How much can I poke my sister before she freaks out? Like, It's kind Mm -hmm. of like, you're testing those barriers, and you like, learn right? Those signals from other people as you grow older. One of the things I've learned working with five different partners in a management team of like seven people is people communicate in different ways. We've spent time doing like different personality tests, the Myers-Briggs and the animals one. And we continue to revisit that because there are so many personalities within our leadership and we have to continually renew and remind ourselves what are the best ways that we can communicate with each other because those are critical skills that we need as adults. This is fascinating. It makes me think about, I was up for a leadership role and someone had asked me, how do you take criticism? And I kind of laugh. I have three brothers. So for me, growing up in a large family, I was like, that was how they shared their love. Like, (laughs) I I don't know that I ever heard like terms of endearment from my brothers. totally. (laughs) You know, so... I do think it does shape you in ways of like, how do you work with people and what do you expect? And how am I then too? Like, I also have to be very mindful of the fact that I can be really sarcastic, you know? So I think it's so fascinating just being around other people and working through those dynamics can be really interesting in all different types of spaces. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. Your kids are getting like straight up, there's like no space or very little space. So they have to learn really quickly when they have to stop bothering each other. Right. Yeah. Otherwise. Well, it's like a college dorm room, you know, in some ways. Oh, yeah, if you ever sure. had a roommate, I feel like learning through roommates is a really good experience too in life. <laughs> Totally, right? Boy, that takes me back. Let's get back to a, a theme that I wanted to talk about and has kind of something to do with space. Let's get back to that idea for yes. a second. <laughs> you have embarked on taking on a, well, owning now um, and launching a short-term rental. Do you want to yes. talk a little bit about, as you were thinking about adding this to your portfolio and adding a, a new layer of complexity to your life, what got you into this idea of oh, yeah. being a host or owning a short-term rental? Great question. I've always been interested in real estate. It was it was just an interesting idea to me throughout my life, just thinking about what that means, having assets that can continue to build money or, and wealth for you always interested me. So when Megan and I were in New York, we had an apartment that had, we had like an extra room with an extra bathroom. So we rented out to students to help curb some of our rent. And then we eventually bought a duplex and then rented out another apartment to like a couple who were friends of ours. And so we've always kind of played with that idea, but never knew really how to go about it. Do we want to become long-term rental owners or like short-term rentals? And then I even Airbnb'd our house in New York for a little while, and, but that didn't really work out because I really didn't know what I was doing at the time. It was, it was in its infancy. So then fast forward like nine years later, we're still kind of thinking about would we want to do real estate? And then we started looking at short-term rentals primarily because we started looking at kind of the, these unique Airbnbs. We started following a channel on YouTube and then that linked to a YouTuber called Rob Bilt. And then I started watching his channel and he was starting to grow his audience. So we ended up joining his group called host camp and so he talked to other people and he kind of break down like costs and stuff and that was a key moment for me because he'd be like all right this house cost me x y and z i got it up and running by this much and this is the gross revenue it brings in so i like looking at numbers and figuring out like how that stuff works so when he started talking about that sort of thing i was like oh i kind of get it shortly thereafter he started like a mastermind so i joined that and that's kind of when things kicked into high gear it was me and like five other people working with Rob and we would just be looking at properties and analyzing them every week and throwing up different things and looking at different markets and looking at tools and all of this stuff. And literally within like three months, all of us had purchased a home and we were all working and getting it going. So the interest was kind of this long-term sort of seed that developed and it didn't really turn into specifically short-term rentals until I started learning more about it. I purchased the home, spent about six months getting it up and running, a little bit longer than I thought. Um, I had to go through some trials and tribulations with like zoning and permitting and county stuff, county meetings that I didn't expect to, but I wanted to do it by the book. So when it was up mm -hmm. and running, no one could mess with it. It's been running for about six months now. It's making a little bit of money on the side, which is really cool. Yeah, it's just kind of expanding the portfolio. Uh, looking at if yeah. Meg and I eventually step away from like our full-time work and maybe do some more traveling, more adventures, this would be an additional stream of income with some like tax benefits on the side. That was That's kind funny. of the idea of venturing into this space that was challenging. And again, something we had no real idea about trying to navigate it. And we're still in the process. You know, I'm still talking to and interviewing different CPAs about like potential tax advantages 
and all of that. So it's still a huge learning process. I'm still connected with our mastermind group. We still have our Slack channel that we'll post things in all the time. So having that small community and continuing to grow within this space, again, is kind of like, was it hard and stressful? Oh my God, 2022 was crazy for me because we had purchased like an additional office. So like we have three locations for work and then I bought this house and it was like crazy. And I was putting in, when we talk about busy, I was like, driving there on the weekends, driving there on a Tuesday night, working on it on Wednesday. It was just seven days a week for probably about three months. And I was just getting burnt out. Like I didn't go to the gym for like six months. Yeah, I probably wasn't the best partner to Megan some days. <laughs> God bless her. Because it was just so much, right? But getting it up has been super rewarding because now it's like, oh, hey, it's the weekend. My house made me 500 bucks and I didn't do anything except say hello and Here's a chicken stuff. And so that's where the magic is happening now is kind of like, okay, I get why this is appealing for a lot of people. Yeah. I want to, we're going to come back to this, but I think you mentioned something that's so important and maybe we don't even realize it when we are embarking on adventures or a new thing or a hard thing, the role of community or having people around you that are like ahead of you on the curve, right? That have done this, that can guide you and that are willing to help you out, I think is so important. When I started my podcasting journey, I was fortunate to also be in a mastermind group. And I can't tell you how important that has been in getting, mm -hmm. just getting ideas or helping you when you're overwhelmed or stuck or just not feeling it. You know, I think it's been a really powerful tool. So just, I heard that when your story and wanted to highlight that because that sounds like it's a powerful game changer for you. Yeah, 100%. And this kind of goes back to like the hiking stuff too. For Megan and I, like, we don't know a lot of people that do the stuff that we want to do. So it's hard. Right. Like, I can't talk to my, like, my parents think I'm crazy. I'm always doing, the rest of my family, yeah. like, there's a bunch of doctors. They're not doing crazy stuff like this. <laughs> you know, I'm going on vacation. Like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to go hike, you know, 220 miles in 10 days. And they're looking at me like, what? I was literally talking to my dad the other day. And I was showing him the map of the John Muir Trail. And he's like, how much did you hike? And I'm like, this much. And I was like showing him the map. And he's like huh. So like in one day, I could have driven from like, he used to run a dry cleaners in the suburbs of Chicago. He's like, I could have driven from there to like Evanston to have lunch with your sister when she went to Northwestern. I was like, yeah, I did that. And he's like, looked at me like almost with new eyes. He's like, wow, you guys hiked a lot. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's what I was telling you, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, community so huge. I can't tell you just having people going through those similar struggles. When I started having opposition from like neighbors about getting my permit done, being able to lean on them was tremendous. The amount of support and love they gave me was amazing. Mm. Not only that, but like my real estate agent who also does like short-term rentals, him and his partner were super, he was like, here, you're going to get up on volley and we're going to just talk every day and just talk through it. And he's like, you're going to be fine. And of course he was right because he had the experience. They just walked me right through it, man. And it was, I can't tell you, I was freaking out. Like Meg was freaking out. We were like, yeah. oh my God, they just made a huge financial mistake. I'm screwed. And everything worked out. So yeah. to your point, having that community, people ahead of the curve to help be like, yo, you're going to be okay. Let's walk through this together was so critical. I can't tell you what it meant to me and what it continues to mean to me today. Yeah. Let's talk about the space because it's super fun and I can't wait to, Yeah, I want to share it with listeners. So we're going to get there. 
It's a very family-friendly space. So how did you decide there is, let's talk about the little kid room, because I think that space is like, oh yeah. how did you come up with that? Like the basement is super fun. I just would love to get inside Rich's brain of like, how did you come up with all the ideas or decide who you were going to target and, and all that kind of stuff? Like, how did you decide how to be an awesome host? So there's a lot of things I gathered from like our host camp and, and some of the peers. And I was looking at a bunch of different Airbnbs. One of the big things for me was creating a space that was family friendly because I want to be able to take my siblings and like cousins there that all have small kids. I'm thinking about like, if I want to be there with my family, Mm. what do I want in, this is like my dream Airbnb or like my dream house. So that's kind of where it came from. For me, it was like, let's make this amazing. So the basement has like an arcade. So there's a one-up arcade of like X-Men versus like Magneto. There's like Frogger, Pac-Man, a bunch of old school arcade games because that's where I grew up. And this is like the basement of my dreams. Like if I talk to 12-year-old Rich today and it was like, what do you want in your basement? This is exactly what I put in there. So it's got a large screen TV. It's got video games. It's got like a day bed. It's got places where you can sit down. There's comic books everywhere. And that's what I would like to spend my time. So that was the idea for the basement. Like what would 12-year-old Rich love? And there's a couple like Master of the Universe action figures because He-Man is the best. And then when we talk about the Nook, one of the things I thought would be really cool is having like a hidden space. And that's something we talked about in the host camp. So there was this kind of like large closet on the second floor living room. And it was just a weird door. So I was like, what if we made this a revolving bookshelf or something? And so I was talking to my handyman and that didn't quite work. But what we did do is we put a sliding bookshelf. So the bookshelf slides to almost close where it just looks like a bookshelf, but then you can slide it open. And in that larger closet space, we turned that into like a kid's reading nook. So it's got like fun decals and art all over the place. There's a bunch of books. There's a couple little toys, nice places to read. And it's kind of like a secret space because a lot of times when you're in family get-togethers, all the adults like to go in some place, but sometimes the kids like to go in some place too and have their own place to play away from the adults. So it's like a smaller, more colorful, kind of like kid-friendly place. Because ultimately, I'm going to be there with my cousins and their kids or like with our friends and their kids. I want the kids to have a really awesome time too. Yeah. And I'm already stoked because I can't wait. So where is it? So people can find it. They want to find it. Actually, we'll put this in the show notes, but just talk a little bit about the location as well. So there's a really special place in Wisconsin called La Crosse. And La Crosse is, I think, the most populated city in Wisconsin on the western side because it's right on the Mississippi River. And La Crosse is really unique for me because it doesn't really look like what you think about when you think about Wisconsin. So you think about Wisconsin like these kind of rolling hills and farms. La Crosse has these cliffs and bluffs. People go there to hike. They go to the bike. It's incredible. So it's a really, really cool space. you got the Mississippi River. There's good food. There's amazing activities. It's a great outdoor space. There's tons of breweries. And it's really super close to a lot of schools. So there's a really cool kind of youthful culture. I just think it's a really unique space. I think that small city has a ton of potential to grow as more and more people are migrating to kind of like smaller mid-sized cities. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So will you share the link? We can put the link in the show notes so people can find it directly. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, I just think you have such interesting background, such interesting stories. I think... You know, sometimes when we think about an adventure, we talk about all of those outdoor things, but I think it's all of it, right? The the fact that you 
everything from art to optometry to business to rentals to hiking, like it all requires kind of this willingness to try new things and to do the hard thing. And the feeling you get when you're done is just astonishing. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing the wide variety of adventure that you've had in your life. Awesome. You're also super inspiring. So we love hearing your stories and pure pleasure just to be here today. So thank you so much. For sure. Well, thank you for that. All right, Rich, it has been fun. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with listeners that I didn't ask or that you just want to mention that I forgot to ask about? No, man, just just do the hard thing. Just do the hard thing and, and be a better person on the other end of it. Sweet. Thanks, Rich. He is just the person I love having conversation with because he also just makes you feel so good. And he's so fun and he's so funny that I really enjoyed our conversation. I have 10 key takeaways to share with all of you today. Number one, Rich shadowed various optometrists and asked them two important questions. Number one, do you like what you do? And number two, do you enjoy the work-life balance? How often do we go to the source of people ahead of us on the journey and ask them direct questions that could speed up our decision-making process? Rich's example is a great lesson in jumping the learning curve line and finding people ahead of you. Number two, as a reward to his girlfriend's mom after she quit smoking, they took a ride on a donkey down into the Grand Canyon. After that experience, they killed some time by hiking down into the canyon and came across some hikers doing rim to rim, which led them to be curious and explore what other adventures they could do that they weren't previously aware of. Number three, what adventures did you not know were possible and what would it take for you to take the next step? Without having friends or family members with the experience in the type of adventures they were exploring, they looked online for bloggers and others with experience and then just did it. They discovered they were better than they expected. While we often face fears in adventure, do you ever wonder if it'll turn out better than you expected? Number four, the first four-day hike was a spark to many others. They'd find a hike, research them further, train for them, and find itineraries. For example... Their comment, we think this is going to be challenging, but we also think it's possible, culminated in the Zion Traverse, a 39-mile run across Zion National Park. Number five, there is a novelty in trying new things, then trying hard things. Through the struggle, there's a sense of accomplishment, and you remember those things. Number six, being on trail is really simple. While in our normal life, we are at capacity in life, work, and health, On the trail, the only things we worry about are sustenance, going in the right direction, enjoying the views, and staying away from predators. In the first few days of hiking, his brain is still all over the place because he's so used to being all over the place. But every multi-day hike has shown that after the first two days, his brain calms down and the noise is stripped away. The important things in life manifest into deeper purpose of what we were made to do. It removes the noise and the meaningless decisions from everyday life. Number seven. Given Rich's high-energy state, he finds draining his batteries physically helps him focus. Busy isn't always bad. In Rich's case, it gives him the structure to focus his energy on something positive. Not everyone will thrive without walls, but to Rich, they are the boundaries that allow him to exert his energy in the right places. Number eight, having a community and guidance from people ahead of you on the curve is highly recommended asset. Sure, you can probably figure out how to do it yourself, but that doesn't help you through the hard times when you question yourself or you get stuck. 
Number nine, creating a space that is designed for kids to get away from adults and have really fun time was part of the decision-making process to create a family-friendly Airbnb. What would your 12-year-old self like? How do we differentiate kids' space from adult space? Ultimately, thinking about how I would want to be in the space with my friends and family was the user experience he designed for. Number 10, do the hard thing and you'll come out a better person on the other side. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope you find a person that inspires you and you take the next step. Reach out to them. Ask the question. Whether it be a DM in social or an email or just some kind of nudge, reach out and ask the question. You may be surprised the answer you get. And I would also say if this is something that interests you, if there's something that you've heard on this podcast, whether it's Rich's experience starting an Airbnb or it's mine in the family gap year space or it's a previous guest working in a national park, reach out to them. Take the next step. Invest in what they're offering It may not only get you there and give you some guidance along the way, but it'll also help you keep going. It'll get you unstuck when you need it, and you may even get there faster than you expected. So long. I hope you have an amazing week. Until next week, keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.